Hi there. So welcome to model 3 IAS 16 property plant and equipment. Now this is one of the fundamental accounting standards that you have to understand that whether you like it or not you are going to be doing some treatment directly or indirectly in relation to property plant and equipment. This is because you are going to be uh, asked to prepare a final account for a single company and when you are preparing a final account as part of the expenses you will be calculating the depreciation for property, plants and equipment, you will be calculating the depreciation of other assets as well. So it is a fundamental accounting standard that you have to uh, take note of and also understand very well. Then also when it comes to the group financial statement, because of the treatment of the issues of um, uh, intergroup trading, where maybe a subsidiary will transfer an asset to a parent or a parent will transfer an asset to a subsidiary, or better still there is fair value adjustment, whether there is upward or a downward adjustment, and how it has to be treated in the books of accounts. So because of all these, it is very important for you to understand the treatment of IAS 16 very very well so that you'll be able to uh, handle the treatment it is fundamental in level two as well as fundamental in the level three corporate reporting paper right so what are we going to be doing in this module at the end of this module you should be able to understand the recognition criteria for non-current assets then you should be able to understand the measurement basis you should be able to prepare an extract of financial statement for non-current assets and also you you should be able to look at the disclosure requirements in relation to that now so when we talk about the thing in relation to property plant and equipment there are two issues that we have to discuss the first issue has to do with um, initial measurement now when we talk about initial measurement we are talking about um, how we initially um, recognize or what actually constitute the cost of an asset. All right? Under that, you have to talk about what we call the capital expenditure and then the revenue expenditure. Now, I know by now you know the difference between what is a capital expenditure and what is a revenue expenditure. Now, when we are looking at the cost of an asset or when we are looking at the cost of an asset or the, yes, the cost of an asset, that has to be recognized and included in the statement of financial position or that has to be recognized as part of the records and disclosing the books of accounts, we would have to look at what should constitute the total cost of an asset. So for instance, if we are a business and we have gone to buy uh, a computer and we paid, for instance, um, $200 for the computer, a desktop computer, $200, yeah, $200, the question we ask ourselves is, are we going to just record the $200 or we are going to record other things including the $200? So what we want to look at now is to consider what should actually constitute the total cost that we are going to be recognizing in relation to the computer that we've bought. For instance, always, so what first thing we have to talk about is capital expenditure. So what is capital expenditure? Usually, these are the expenditure that uh, has to be capitalized in the financial statement. 
So the capital expenditure always in relation to non-current assets and also in relation to research and expenditure as we will be doing in IAS uh, 38 intangible assets has to be or would have to be capitalized. Some of these capital expenditure will include the initial cost, the import duty, installation cost, the intended use, and then the delivery cost. So for instance, if we are buying a, a, a computer and the amount, the price of the computer is $200, but the computer, we are not buying it here or we are buying it and we have to pay for some amount for the computer to be brought to our shop or our office. And then when a computer is brought, we have to bring in an expert to install the computer into our system and all those things. So to be able to bring the assets to its intended for it intended use and also bring the assets to the present use to help the business to be able to use the assets all the costs that we are going to be incurring in buying the asset in delivering the asset that is bringing the asset to the office and also in installing the assets and actually using the assets all those costs qualify to be as part of what the capital expenditure and all these costs would have to be capitalized let me um put it in, 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 a, in quite a practical way. Let me try to put it in quite a practical way. Let's say, for instance, we buy a plant, all right? Let's say we buy a plant that can be used because of the power crisis, then we buy a plant, right? Maybe let's say that the plant uh, cost, for instance, $2,800. So that's the cost of the plant. And this is uh, a environmentally friendly plant because we are interested in how much gas that we have to, how much uh, toxic gas that we have to emit into the atmosphere. So it is uh, an organic plant and environmentally friendly plant. So we are importing it from, um, let's say, America, all right, or let's say the UK, the UK. And so this is the actual cost of the plant. But the cost of bringing the plants to Ghana it's let's say a feather of let uh, $500 then when it gets to Ghana the amount of money we need to pay at the port to bring it up to, to bring it to our business and transfer it actually to where our business is is let's say around $300 then when we bring the plants the cost we're going to incur to install the plants and connect it to the various uh, uh, terminus in our offices or in our, at our workplace would also be a further hundred dollars. Then let's assume that at the end of the useful life of that plant, let's say at the end of five years, the place that we install the plant, we would have to risk um, the place that we installed the plant, we would have to uh, rearrange the place and restore it to the way it was prior to the installation of the plant. And let's say that the cost of that in present value in 10 years time, uh, it's in five years time, let's use five years, is let's say $50. So what we are saying here is that what we recognize in the financial statement as the cost of the plants that we have bought will not be the actual amount of money we are paying that is the price of the plants, but would also include all other costs that we are incurring. So in this case, if we add it up, mm, this is going to be 3, 300, 3, 600, 3, 700, 3, 750. So the total is going to be 3750 dollars.
So this $350 is how much we have to recognize in relation to this particular asset in our balance sheet. That is what you have to understand. Now, this is very important to you for, for us to understand on this level or at this level because the examiner could, uh, as part of the 20 mark question on accounting standard, will throw some of these stories around and will ask you how to recognize an asset in the financial statement. So it means that we are going to be recognizing 3750 in the financial statement and not 2,800. This is what we refers to as the initial measurement of assets. Next is about revenue expenditure. Now, these are other expenditure in relation to the assets that are treated as revenue expenditure, and usually these are recognized in the income statement. So capital expenditure would have to be capitalized and then spread or amortized over the economic useful life of the assets. But revenue expenditure will be written off as and when they are being incurred in the current year income statement as part of the expenses of the company. Right, so some of these include repairs cost, insurance cost, and then maintenance cost. So all these things are part of the revenue expenditure and these ones as and when we incur them we are going to be uh, treating them as part of the uh, revenue expenditure or as part of expenses during the year so these are what you have to understand in relation to what we call the initial measurement now after the initial measurement the next thing we have to look at is the um, subsequent measurement okay subsequent measurement has to do with where we talk about how we now measure the assets over the useful life of over the economic useful life of the assets now with subsequent measurements there are two methods that we can use for the subsequent measurements we can use i'm not going to clean this because i'm going to come back to it as my illustration for the day on ppp ppe so we can use what we call the cost module or we can use what we call the revaluation model. So when you talk about the subsequent measurement of assets, we can go for the cost module or we can also go for the revaluation module. Now, with a cost module, this is where we simply say that, hey, the net book value of the assets net book value of the assets or if you want the current value of the assets is the cost of the assets minus the accumulated depreciation simple so with a cost module we're not going to do anything we're just going to say hey what is if we want a current value of the assets it is going to be the cost of the assets minus the accumulated depreciation that is how much depreciation we've charged so far on the assets then the second thing is the revaluation model. Now the revaluation model is where the company revalues the assets at least once every year so that the asset will be able to reflect its uh, fair value in the financial statement. So when we are using the revaluation model, it is going to be the current value of the asset is going to be the fair value of the assets minus the accumulated depreciation. So the fair value of the asset is the same as the revalued amount or the revalue uh, amount of the asset or the revalue 
of value of the asset, yeah, we can say revalue amount of the asset. That would be uh, repetition too much. So the revalue of, uh, amount of the asset in relation to that. So that is what we mean by the revaluation model. So cost model, cost minus accumulated depreciation. Revaluation model is the fair value of the asset minus the accumulated depreciation. Now, this is where the game begins to be fun. What, why do I say that? Because the issue about depreciation, if you remember from level one, that is, if you if you were exempted from level one, then I, may, I believe that uh, you did this as part of your uh, semester modules way back in the university. But there are methods of depreciation. Uh, we have what we call a straight line method, the reducing balance method, the sum of years, decades, the uh, production unit method, and a couple of, I think, five or six methods. But in this, at this level, we just want to focus on two methods, all right? So the methods of depreciation we're going to be looking at will include the straight line method and also the reducing balance method. So the straight line method and then the reducing balance method. Now, what are these depreciation methods? Simple. The straight line method is where the asset is depreciated over its economic useful life. What it means is that the same amount of depreciation will be charged over the economic useful life of the assets or the remaining economic life of the asset. Now, the reason why I am saying over the economic life of the asset or the remaining life of the, the remaining useful life of the asset or the remaining economic life of the asset is because of the method. For instance, if you are going for the cost method, that means that we are going to be depreciating the asset over the useful life. But if you are going for the revaluation method and we are using straight line method, then we are going to be depreciating the asset over the economic life. You see, the useful life is when we buy the asset, we say, we say that, okay, we are going to use this asset for 20 years. That becomes the useful life. Now, if we use the asset for five years, and then after five years of usage of the asset, we say that, hey, uh, we want to revalue this asset, and we revalue the asset, but we say that, what is, the, what is the remaining life of the asset? And it is 15 years. That means that the 15 years becomes the economic life of the asset, right? So, or we can simply say, now, the useful life of the asset is going to be 15 years. So it is a word that is used interchangeably, but you must look at the circumstances under which the word is being used or those statements are being made. Right, so with a straight line method, so let me do another division. With a straight line method, all we are saying here is that annual depreciation, it's going to be your cost of the assets minus residual value or salvage value divided by the useful life of the asset. So what did we say was about this particular asset? So for, for instance, this particular asset, using the re, uh, residual value simply means 
uh, the scrap value. Okay, what do you know as scrap value is the same as uh, residual value, is the same as salvage uh, value. So it simply means at the end of the economic useful life, how much we want to sell the asset. Usually we're going to assume that the economic useful life of the asset is zero. So if the economic useful life of the asset is zero, then that means that the annual depreciation for those assets, assuming that we, we are saying we're going to be using it for five years, that is going to be, um, let's say, 3750 divided by five years, okay? So, I'm dealing with dollars. Right, so can I grab my Casio calculator? Right, here we go with my Casio, 3750. 3750 divided by 5. So every year we're going to go for 750. $750 per annum. What it means is that every year for 5 years, what is the double entry? We're going to debit our income statement, $750, and then we credit the property, plant, and equipment, $750. Dollars. That is it. That is it. Now, the initial recognition for those assets will be to debit property, plant, and equipment with 3750. Then we'll credit cash book. That is, if we paid everything, 3750. If we bought it on credit also, then we would partly credit some creditors and then whatever amount we've paid physically, then we take it to the cash entry. But we are not interested in the um, credit entry upon the recognition, really, if the scenario is uh, a lot. But we are interested in the debits, what is going to the debit side of the property, plant, and equipment. So every year, we're going to be crediting the property, plant, and equipment with $750. Uh, so at the end of the five years, you realize that the property, plant, and equipment is going to be zero, which means that it has no scrap value in relation to that. So now, remember I told you about dismantling cost. That is, at the end of the five years, we need to restore the place uh, to where it was prior to the installation. We will do the treatment for that well under IAS 37 when we are talking about provisions. But here, I'm much interested in uh, the depreciation and the recognition amount there. So that is about a straight line method. Cool, right? Cool. Now, so with a straight line method, every year we're going to be charging the same amount. But let's come to the reducing balance method. What happens? Now, the reducing balance method is where we are going to be charging the depreciation on the current value of the assets. Okay, so what it means under the reducing balance method is that we are not going to be charging the same depreciation over the useful life of the assets. As and when the asset grows, the depreciation on it reduces. And it is logical because it means that we will be charging high depreciation at the early life uh, in, during the early life of the assets, and then we'll be charging lower depreciation or small amount of depreciation as the asset ages. So that is what you must understand about the reducing balance method. So we are using the same illustration that the cost of our asset is 3750, but this time around we are using the reducing balance method and then the, uh, it is 25%. So 25% simply means, how do we go about it? 
So in year one, the depreciation sh should be to be charged. It's going to be twenty-five percent, okay, of that same figure, three seven five zero. So let me take my Casio brother, and so that my Casio can help me to do that. No point two five by three seven five zero. Uh oh. 0.25. I don't know my Casio, it's not working. You know my Casio said it is not working today. Can you imagine that? So let me do that here. 0.25 times 3750. And that is so for the first year, we're going to be charging 937.5 as the depreciation. And so how do we account for that? You know that already, right? So we debit the income statement, 937.5, and then we credit the property, plant, and equipment, 937.5. So that is what happens in the first year. But what happens in the second year? In the second year, the same depreciation will not be charged. Remember, it is a reducing balance method. So we're going to be charging the depreciation on the carrying value and not on the cost. Right. Straight line method, everything will be on the cost. So assuming it was 25% straight line method, it will still mean that under the straight line method, the same depreciation will be charged over the useful life of the asset. But since it is a reducing balance method, the same depreciation will not be charged. So let's come to year two and let's see what's happening. Now in year two, we have to look for the carrying value of the asset. So the carrying value of the asset is what? Your cost minus your depreciation. So what is our cost? Our cost is still 3750 minus the depreciation of 937.5. So let's see what we get there. Minus nine three seven five zero. And that gives us two eight one two point five. So this is the carrying value of the asset as at the beginning of year two. Okay? This is as at the end of year one. So as at the beginning of year two, opening balance, this is the carrying value. So it is on this value, so the depreciation for year two. It's going to be 25% of this particular figure, 2812.5. So what do I have? 25% of that times 0.25. And that is 703.13. 703.13. So in year two, we're going to be debiting income statement with... 703.13 and then you credit the property plants and equipment 703.13 so what do you see here what do you see here you could see clearly that in year one we were charging 937.5 but in year two we are charging only 703.13 so that is the uh, twig about the reducing balance method so as and when the asset ages we charge less depreciation on it. The key thing is this, with a straight line method, the same amount of depreciation will be charged over the useful life of the assets. 
but with the reducing balance method the depreciation reduces and we charge the depreciation on the carrying value of the assets and not on the cost of the assets right so that is what you must understand in relation to initial measurement and then subsequent measurements right so let me see what else i have here in our question okay now so in relation to the revaluation module let me make some comments that you have to take into consideration now so when an asset is revalued it can be revalued upward or it can be revalued downward let me take an, an illustration for instance if the current value of our asset is $200 and management says that hey when we look at the year and uh, we look at the market we undertake a market research this asset its state and its productivity it is now worth um, the fair value of it is let's say $300 now since the fair value of the asset is more than the current value that is called upward revaluation but if the fair value of the asset was less than the current value of the asset, that is what we talk about impairment. And we'll look at that under IAS 16. Okay? Now, when there is an upward revaluation like this of $100, what is the double entry for it? The double entry is that we're going to be debiting property, plant, and equipment with that extra $100. But a credit entry usually is going to go through what we call the revaluation surplus or the revaluation reserve account. Now, note that depreciation will always be charged on the revalued amount. Now, if depreciation is charged on the revalued amount, it means that higher depreciation will be charged than usually has to be. So for instance, if we revalue the asset at the beginning of the year to be $300, what it means is that, and let's say the economic useful life of the asset is 10 years, as at the time we did the revaluation, then the depreciation for that year divided by 10 would be $30. But if we hadn't uh, revalued the assets, then the depreciation to be charged over 10 years would have been what? 20. So you will see that there is an extra depreciation that is being charged of how much? $10. Now, this $10 is going to increase our expenses. Since it is increasing our expenses, it means it will reduce our profits. Since it is reducing our profit, it means that we will have less amount of profit available to be given to our shareholders. So, what usually happens is that we need to compensate the shareholders for the increased depreciation or the uh, upward revaluation of the assets. So what we do is that there is usually what we call an annual transfer. Please be careful. If the examiner doesn't make the statement, then you don't do it. Now, usually the examiner forbids, uh, has over the years forbidden students from doing the annual transfer because he will clearly state that there is no annual transfer or that you don't have to, the company doesn't make any annual transfer. But if there are annual transfers, this is how it may, we will do it. You will see that 
this revaluation surplus still belongs to the shareholders. It's a benefit for the shareholders. So what we do is that we need to compensate the shareholders. How do we compensate the shareholders? We compensate the shareholders by making an annual transfer from the revaluation surplus to the retained earnings. Remember, dividends are always paid out of where? The retained earnings. So since dividends are paid out of the retained earnings, what we do is that we are going to transfer every year. Since the useful life of the asset is 10, this thing will also be 10. So it's going to be 100 over 10, and that will be what? $10. So every year, we're going to be transferring $10 from the revaluation surplus account. So the double entry will be debit revaluation surplus with a $10, and then you credit retained earnings with $10. So you will see that even though our profit is reducing by 10, shareholders are being compensated by that 10 back. What it means is that technically shareholders are not losing anything at the end of the day. This is what refers to as upward revaluation. Now, when there is a downward revaluation, what do we do? So, assuming we revalue this asset this year, and then the following year, the asset suffers uh, impairment, or the asset suffers uh, a reduction in its value. What it means is that we are going to reverse it as we have what, done it. So, if the upward revaluation was $100, and then the following year, we realize that the asset has fallen in value by, let's say, $200, then we would have to write off how much that is left in the revaluation surplus account and then reverse that treatment back in relation to that. So what is going to happen is that that is going to be an expenses. So what will happen is that, let, let me illustrate that briefly here. So this is the first year. So uh, after the revaluation, at the end of the first year, our assets will now be, uh, so let me put that in this box here so that we'll get a picture well. So after the first year, we charge a depreciation of 30, so the carrying value of the asset now is 270. So let's say in the second year, something happened in the market, so assets lose their value. So as assets lose their value, now the fair value of that asset, which we thought was 300, is now, let's say, um, 150. What does that mean? It means that this asset has suffered an impairment of how much? Uh, that would be 120, am I right? Yeah, $120. How do we treat this $120? Because this asset was previously revalued upward by $200, sorry, by $100. What it means is that so far, the revaluation surplus has 100 but we've taken 10 from it, so it is having how many, how much left? 90. So that 90 that is left from the revaluation surplus, what we're gonna do is this. Let's see what we're gonna do. So for this revaluation of 120, the double entry is simple. We're gonna be debiting the revaluation surplus with how much? 90 that is left, so that we take it out from there. $90. Remember, we will credit PPP, PPE by the whole 120. Now, remaining 30, where do we take that 30? It's an impairment and that's an expenses. So that 30 will be taken to the income statement. 
please be careful here with the treatment. Be careful here with the treatment. If an asset suffered impairment after revaluation, we write off the revaluation and then any extra amounts that is left would be written off during that year because it's an impairment. Alright? So that is what you have to understand in relation to that. So let me come back to my model outline and then let me look at the question that we have here. Adun Limited acquires a property on January 1 at a cost of 400,000 Ghana cities and immediately occupied it as an office premises. On acquisition, it was estimated to have a useful life of 50 years. Subsequent to its acquisition, the asset was measured at depreciation depreciated cost until 1st July 2012 when management of Adum Limited decided to convert the building into an investment property mainly for rentals. Following this decision, the property was, fair, was fairly valued at 373800 Adum Limited adopted the fair value model for subsequent measurements of the investment property. At 31st December 2012, it was fair valued at 380 required. Account for the treatment of this property in the 2012 financial statement of Adam Limited. Now, another accounting standard that is closely related to IAS 16 is what we refer to as IAS 40, that is investment property. Now, the difference between the two is that IAS 16 is used to account for assets that are used for business purposes. So we have a building that we are, used for, we are using for administrative purposes. We are using it as the office for the business. We are using it as a warehouse for the business. That, those kind of assets, we account for them according to IAS 16. We charge depreciation, either using the cost module or the revaluation module. But when the company owns an asset, that it is not using for business purposes, but it owns the asset for rental purposes or uh, capital appreciation purposes, then that will be accounted for under IAS 40, that is investment property. Now, that is another accounting standard we'll be looking at, but this question here actually marries the two, or brings the two together, and so I'm going to be treating the two here, but we will look at another video or in, in, the, in another module where we talk about investment property. So let's see how we can solve this question in the next video.